I think politics is a, an expression of human behavior. I think it is within all of us. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now. There's politics in religion. There's politics in the family. There's familial politics. There's uh, politics in academia. There's politics in the profession, in every profession. There's politics, obviously, in the nation. And our problem is, is that we actually try to separate it. We actually act as if there's a, a discussion at uh, an area of politics that's called politics that doesn't apply to anything else when everything has a political component. And all of those politics have a network that has a central core. And that central core is how do I fare in this system? Whether I am a veterinarian or a trash man, whether I am a plumber or the president, how do I and people like me who believe like I do fare in whatever system you're talking about? Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. It's good to see you again, my friend. Seems like it's been a while. It has been a while. My friend, we've been pretty busy and there's been a lot of changes going on in, in um, my life. So professionally, I, now that I've stepped down as dean, there's been a, a good amount of needed adjustment. But I appreciate your patience. And, and of course, we appreciate the support we're getting from Nationwide in support of this podcast. I thought our meeting at Vet Partners was a, went well. I understand we had some minor pushback on our message, but... Um, that's what this is all about. I mean, I think the ultimate goal is really just to get people to get started in having their own courageous conversations. And not everybody's going to agree with our position or how we feel, which is good. I think if that stimulates a response, then we're doing what we want to do, which is just to get the ball rolling. And the conversations that we had uh, in, in Portland and the conversations that we had with the members of, of the organization when we were in Portland helped just set the tone because as we saw in some of the receptions, there was a lot of just good chatter going on. And, and I think good chatter is is not bad. Yeah, I find it interesting that you phrased it that everybody's not going to agree with our positions when I'm not so sure we promoted any positions. We What we tried to promote was openness. Although we did it in a provocative way of uh, presenting experiences to try to explain how positions might be adopted, that may have been misinterpreted as promoting certain positions. Yeah, uh, I, I would concur. I, I don't think that we stood out there on a pedestal and said, this is what we believe and you have to believe it as well. I think we used our stories and our quote unquote perspectives to just share how our conversations came together. But perspective isn't far from perception. And people's perception could that we were using our perspective to influence people's opinions 
which really wasn't the tenor of our tone. It really was not what we were trying to do. Well, I, I can't deny that we were trying to influence people, but I think what we're trying to do is influence people to be open. Yes. To, we're trying to influence people to engage. Yes. Forgive me for being uh, somewhat conflicted in my in my language here, but I'm in my mother's house. And every Sunday morning, post-COVID, she gets her weekly dose of sermons through TV. And largely because she just recently had a, a medical condition that prevents her from going, but the church is just getting back together. But I was listening to the sermon. Actually, I was listening to two sermons. I noticed that one of the comments we received was that what we talked about had nothing to do with vet med, that this was politics and politics doesn't involve vet med or should be discussed, I guess, in vet med. And at the same time at this meeting, we were mildly chastised about introducing politics into our podcast. And I was listening to this sermon and the first pastor began to attack the woke movement in his sermon and began to to characterize it as an insidious liberal movement. Now, I've always questioned when people raise the woke comment. First of all, I'm not quite sure there is a woke movement as much as there is a woke phrase to suggest that some people are asleep at the wheel and do not recognize the insidious nature of discrimination, the structural nature of inequality. And it is a metaphor that's to say, wake up, please understand that this isn't all about personal accountability or personal ineptitudes. But now from some wings of politics, wokeness has become a movement to be attacked. And as you know, when I take that a step further, to attack a so-called movement of wokeness means you want everybody to be asleep. And then this same pastor introduced cancel culture and says, if you're not woke, then you're canceled. They, then they cancel your ideas. And yet the very primitive, the very approach that was being used was a cancel type method. And I find it ironic that we don't see the irony in the tools that are being used here. But back to my original statement, I also found it enlightening and confusing as to what politics may is and how do you keep politics out of anything? Because when people say politics doesn't belong in a veterinary meeting, I'm beginning to understand that if you can insert politics into religion as easily as these two pastors did, then everything is politics and there's no way to separate it. And what you're really saying is you don't want any politics other than yours to become the topic of the discussion. And it's similar to my going to a golf game one day. I was playing golf with a friend and a lady, I want to say an elderly lady, but she was my age, drove up behind me with her son and they were about to play golf and we got to talking and she said, yeah, I decided to play golf today rather than watch the basketball game. And I said, why? She said, because I don't need people. I don't need to watch a basketball game that has Black Lives Matters on the back of their uniform. I'm there to watch a game, not to listen to politics. And we chastise the million dollar athletes who, as college athletes, didn't have the forum or the freedom to talk about their upbringing, to talk about the things that they had to go through to get to where 
they become multimillionaires. And the moment they become multimillionaires, they still can't talk because they're multimillionaires. I can't think of a better cancel culture here when suddenly they don't have the rights or privilege to speak their mind or to promote social justice. So I have to beg the question, who's practicing the cancel culture? That's what we're promoting here in our courageous conversations. We're, we're, we are fighting cancel culture on all sides, in all angles. I may have spent the last 10 minutes talking about, obviously, the conservative bent toward certain phrases or uh, pseudo movements, et cetera. But the same happens on the liberal end, too. I am routinely dismayed at some of the knee-jerk responses we might make to microaggressions that essentially paint a person as a racist for the rest of his or her life because they made a mistake or because their privilege blinded them to the potential injury that might be caused by a microaggression. And I think part of the problem is the term microaggression itself. Have you ever noticed that there's always a macro reaction to a microaggression? You know, uh, that tells me that the aggression is not insignificant. It is not of, of minor consequence. It's a microaggression because in a normal, open, egalitarian society, the things we're talking about would be nuisances. And we've had a guest that considered microaggressions as nuisances. But when you have that nuisance day in, day out, eventually it becomes a cancer to that individual. And the reaction can be overwrought at some point. But, you know, if a mosquito keeps biting you, eventually you kill it. But if enough mosquitoes bite you, you become anemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it's the question of how many microaggressions does it take to become macro? And does, does just swatting the mosquito take care of the microaggression? Or do you need a hammer to make a microaggression into a macroaggression depending to kill the mosquito? So it is an interesting metaphor of this taking mosquito bite that unto itself probably warrants no more than a you know flipping it off your your arm or your shoulder and making it into a macro response that escalates to all sorts of different levels it's interesting during the um the time you were speaking i was making some notes which i do frequently and every note that i made you addressed before i got a chance to address it you started talking on woke and I put down cancel culture. You started talking about politics. And I said, well, politics influences everything. You said politics influences everything. You started talking about student athletes I, and, and the, un, the inability for people to accept athletes having an opinion. I wrote down Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, if you wanna talk about, I don't wanna use the term, if you wanna talk about individuals whose images are taking advantage of without real quote-unquote compensation look at the student athletes football players basketball players at all who create billions of dollars of income for universities through college basketball college football etc but are are 
really not allowed to have any income from those positions that they have. It's an interesting position right now that we need to start to think about. And, um, you know, politics does influence everything, not maybe directly, but indirectly. And whether we're talking about politics influences the economy, the economy influences business, business influences individuals and individuals go home and have a family. So when you're dealing with an inflationary environment that may or may not have been caused by some sort of political quote unquote decisions, it does influence everything. And so it, it is, it, it's not, you can't, I, I don't think you can separate politics from conversation because in many ways it influences everything that we think about these days. And, and goes back to the fact that politics was part of the the um, independence of the United States going back 200 and some odd years. And, and all of the issues that have been going on throughout have some way, shape or form been influenced by the democracy that we have been living in. So it's just funny that I, I've be become um, more and more adept at understanding the direction that you're heading from our conversations. And um, I'm not to the point that I can be your wife and finish your sentences, but I am beginning to think in parallel with you. Now that is, I'm sure that's scary to a lot of our listeners too, <laughs> uh, because I'm sure some of them are counting on you to have a counterpoint rather than to be predicting where I'm, where I'm headed. Let me be very clear here. I'm speaking off the cuff too. I'm not secure in my own position here about just what politics is. I think politics is a, an expression of human behavior. I think it is within all of us. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now. There's politics in religion. There's politics in the family. There's familial politics. There's uh, politics in academia. There's politics in the profession, in every profession. There's politics obviously in the nation. And our problem is, is that we actually try to separate it. We actually act as if there's a, a discussion at uh, an area of politics that's called politics that doesn't apply to anything else when everything has a political component. And all of those politics have a network that has a central core. And that central core is how do I fare in this system? Whether I am a veterinarian or a trash man, whether I am a plumber or the president, how do I and people like me who believe like I do fare in whatever system you're talking about? The second pastor that I listened to was talking about mentioned communism. And I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, where is he going? I mean, he starts out by talking about the first pamphlet that was produced on communism. And he goes on to say that in communism, it says you must first destroy the family, the commitment to family, which in, in his view and mine is the bedrock of civilization. But in, in that process, suddenly making America great again came out as a subtext of his sermon. 
which was an obvious patent political ploy. And I'm sitting there thinking I'm in church. Don't get me wrong. I'm being critical as well as understanding because I grew up in a political church too. When I was a kid, we organized boycotts in the church because it affected the parishioners. So when we boycotted Kroger's because we had, because we couldn't buy the same things at the same price, or we had to go through extra hoops, or because they weren't hiring um, African Americans to work in the meat department, that was all politics. But it, but that, but those politics affected lives, and so there's no way we can discuss social justice. without discussing politics, without having some political realm. And there's no way that we're going to be able to enter that fray, enter that discussion without recognizing that we're not going to agree on everything. And there's no way that the discussion will continue if we aren't willing to stick with the discussion until we get through to the end. Now, if all we wanna do is go through our separate denominations in order to have a discussion amongst our, amongst our kind, that doesn't, make, that doesn't make things any better. That's not how you solve problems of inequality. It just hardens the lines of inequality. Everybody is trying to figure out how to get what they don't have or how to keep what they have. The, um, if we look at a definition of politics that I just found. I, now, figured, gonna, I figured you'd look it up when I said we don't know what it is, but go ahead. Yeah, but, and, and I was trying to separate it from government. Yeah. And this was an interesting one. It comes from the Greek word politica, affairs of the cities. Okay, that, that tends to lead more on the government side of things. But politics is the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of power relations among individuals. So it, it's interesting that the concept of politics in this defi definition is about decision making. It's about developing and it's, and, it's also, and it's also about power sharing exactly or power development it's 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 how to distribute resources that's how to set up status but it's about it's the activities that are associated with doing so yeah but there's still there's still some you know there still has to be a plan for those activities. There right. still has to be a discussion about those activities. And all of that is mitigated by who has the power. Correct. But I, I think what you said, what you said regarding discussion is really the premise behind politics in terms of conversation and discussion and being in the room. And uh, to quote Hamilton, I think it was something like, talk less, listen more. That's all about communication. Right, right. 
but it's perennial. It's everywhere. Absolutely. It, it, it's the air we breathe. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's an SAT word right there. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's part of us. And it is, it is a sham to suggest that you can just set it aside. And we're only going to talk about veterinary medicine today. Bill, when you were sitting down on the couch with your wife last night and you said, what should we watch on TV? That's politics. Yeah. When you decide where you're going for dinner, that's politics because it's basically activities associated with making decisions. So I don't think you can separate politics from the family. I don't think you can separate it from business. I don't think you can separate it from an association unless the only way you think of politics is when it comes to a party system or the government related politics, which have so been so pervasive and so front of mind over the past decade or so that we have forgotten about the politics of people, of decisions, of issues, and everything from that standpoint. I think the government definition of politics has become so front and center with everything from race to religion to sex, I mean, to abortion. We have, we have lost control in many ways because the government definition of politics, which means you're either right because you're on one side or wrong because you're on the other, has taken the discussion out. It's taken the communication out and almost forced you to be in either a right or a wrong type position. I couldn't agree with you more. I will restate the last part of, of, of what you said and say that no, you, you're absolutely right. We're repeating ourselves when we say politics is part of the nat natural order, essentially. This is how we negotiate through life on a daily basis. But you said something else that I think is more profound, and that is we have made politics almost unbearable through our party system. You didn't say that, but you inferred it. The fact that we can't discuss it is because the moment we think the party structure has, has been inserted into the discussion, we harden our positions. That's what I thought when I was listening to the sermon today. When I heard, let's take America back and make it great again in a sermon, my hackles went up because all of a sudden I heard code words that are aligned with principles that I don't agree with, not that I don't want America to be great again. To me, that's window dressing. It's the policies that were adopted when the framers of that phrase, when the recent framers, by the way, that, that phrase is an old phrase that was adopted from an older campaign by a very popular president who did not go as far as the more recent former president incorporating these policies. But because of that, a wall went up for me. And suddenly I saw the pastor as a political agent rather than a pastor. And that's the danger we all have when we're trying. That's the danger you and I have in trying to promote an open dialogue. There are certain people's names we try not to say. I fail more than you do, you know, because it polarizes the conversation and raises the hackles of people that we're really trying to reach out to. 
or and it complicates the message because we get distracted. We find ourselves having to cover our rhetorical butts because we've introduced an idea through a framework that might be too close to party. And because of the stereotypes of each party, we must now explain our individual positions in relationship to those parties. And by the time we finish, we've lost the, the entire point that we're trying to make. We've integrated a lot of terminologies into our conversations probably over the last decade or so, more so than I can remember at any point in time, that had prior meanings that are now being used to mean other things. Woke. Yeah. Was, was a verb. Yeah. Now, what you were talking about in hearing Make America Great Again from the pastor and your response could be considered a dog whistle. Yeah. And the fact that we've used gaslighting and ghosting and all of these other terminologies that had completely different meanings, it's just so intricate, catfishing or whatever other the terms are that are out there. It is so interesting to me, not that I'm a linguist, but it is so interesting to me to watch these turns of a phrase that have become mainstream conversation and even used in politics. Well, this is, this is the evolution of what began by, a, by one particular party back in the early 80s, where the word liberal became, just the, just, the, just the term was a denigrating term for a large segment of America because of the advances that occurred in civil rights in the 60s. And the only way to stop those movements was to denigrate and demonize any liberal feelings. So the word, so the term itself had to be undermined and, and scuttled. And the people who figured out how to do that became very good at it. And now both parties are good at it. Both parties are now good at taking terms and suddenly flipping them flipping it on itself. And unfortunately, the, uh, the American public has not kept up intellectually with what's going on. At first, we bought into the phraseology. The phrases represented what they, they were nice, concise ways of expressing how we might feel. But there's a reason why you call them idioms, because even idiots understand what they mean but they only understand what they're supposed to mean. They don't understand the, the subtext behind it or the intent behind it. And once they get used to using idioms to express complicated ideals, they become vulnerable to being distracted and misguided because now they don't have to do their due diligence anymore. Either they're going to be woke or asleep. You don't think that far. Just being woke is bad. Well, what's the opposite? If I'm not going to be woke, when, when, what am I? Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.